Have you ever had the wonderful opportunity to sit down with a longtime friend and talk about a different stage in your life that you have passed and think, boy, if I had known that, my life would have been done differently. If I had known that, I would have parented differently. I just recently had this kind of conversation with a friend, and we talked about parenting, what we wish we had known, and what we learned along the way. Here is one point from that conversation that I think, for me, was the most valuable learning over time, because it applies to everything. Does your child have a speech-language delay and you really want them to talk? Do difficult behaviors derail home life and you know the frustration is a communication struggle? Does your child see a speech therapist and you wonder, what do they do and how can I help? If these or similar questions are in your mind, this podcast is for you. Hello, my name is Dina Lynn Rosenbush. I am a speech-language pathologist that has worked with children from birth to 21 for three decades. And in my classrooms, I see you wanting to connect with the heart of your child, but their speech and language skills create a barrier. So if you have a kiddo that has difficult behaviors, needs to expand their language, or learn to say speech sounds, and maybe even receives speech therapy, stay tuned because In this podcast, you will learn how to use your daily life as a tool to communication practice and how to do that practice. You will become confident knowing you are making the difference you want to make. And you will hear success stories of parents who have navigated these struggles already. We'll do this all while focusing on building deep, meaningful connection and confidence in your kiddo. So grab a cup of coffee, along with a notebook and pen. It's time to speak in the way your child's brain understands. And that is the language of play. Before we begin, I want to give a tremendous shout out to DJ Scoob from The Undiscovered Entrepreneur. He has a podcast for brand new entrepreneurs like me to help them with advice and and to get them started along the way. And he tweeted me a message that he sent to Good Pods. He said that episode 69 was powerful for him and he wanted to share it with others. And that episode was, can you really reparent yourself and when you should consider it? Good Pods asked DJ Scoob to put together a playlist of his favorite podcasts. And he did. And I am featured now on Good Pods. So thank you so much, DJ Scoob, and thank you for the information, encouragement, support, and knowledge I've gained from your podcast. And getting this tweet from you, telling you what you did, has put a smile on my face. So thank you for listening, sharing, giving a review, and telling Good Pods that I'm one of your favorite podcasts. So if any of you are thinking about entrepreneurship and you would like advice on how do you do it? He is one fabulous resource. Hey parents, I want to make you an offer. Are you tired? Are you wondering how is it that you can change the behavior of your kids? They're fussing. They're whining. They're complaining. They're crying. You're wondering, 
How do I get them to stop? How do I get them to cooperate? But yet you're so tired that you don't even know what to do next. If this is you, you are like so many of the parents that I've worked with. They too are not sure what to do next because they are tired and they're wondering, how do I communicate with this child? I don't have the capacity. I don't have the energy. There are simple strategies to help you regain that sense of control in your home and create more happiness in your home so that you can be productive in the things that you want to do and to be who you want to be. If you would like to talk about how this is possible for you, book a discovery call at the link in the show notes or email me at hello at thelanguageofplay.com and we can have a conversation to see how my program can change your home and your daily life experience. All right, let's begin. Hey, listeners. This last week, one of my longtime friends came over to my house, and we were playing with my grandsons, and it was so fun. Along the way, we started reminiscing about, remember when our children were this age? And we talked about all the mistakes that we made and things that we didn't know. And I thought, I should put that in an episode. But the truth is, there were so many things that we didn't know that it could be an episode that lasts seven hours long. <laughs> so um, there's been a lot of learning along the way for all of us. And today I thought I would bring up one major thing that as I grew older, as I had more experience, as I started to really understand how children think and how their brains operate, when I started to really understand that, which of course was when my children were older, not when they were actually really little and going through it, but when they got older and I had had all this speech therapy training and then I had the CEUs and then I had all my friends that we'd say, what are you doing with your kid when they do this? Well, I don't know. I tried that. You know, like, so I whittled down to one main topic. And that is our topic for today. So here's what I whittled it down to. I assumed that my child's behavior was their choice. Let me say that again. I assumed that my child's behavior was intentionally done. It was their choice. And that implies a few things. It implies that they think like I'm thinking. So I assign my thinking to my child. So if my child is having a full-blown meltdown, my assumption is that they must feel the way I would feel if I behaved like that. If my child lied or did something, I assumed that my child's thinking was my thinking if I had behaved like that. This, I learned over time, is so wrong in thinking. And why this is wrong, you ask? Well, it's because we have to go back to the foundation of what it is that we know about the child's brain. And I want to say before we begin that when I talk about choice, I'm not talking about power because anybody's behavior is truly within their power. However, the reason I say that it was not their choice as a child to behave that way, whichever way it is, and it's because they don't know they have options. They don't know they have a choice to make. What they've been doing is all they know. They don't know that they have other choices or other powers. 
They simply don't know, and they don't know that they don't know. So let's tease that apart a little bit. If you are a regular listener, you know we've talked a lot about um, the emotional brain and how the brain structures um, occur in a child. Your main operating system for your kiddos is that limbic brain. It's that emotional center of the brain, and that emotional center is their main operating system. Yes, there's a little zip fire into the you know, frontal cortex where they do some reasoning now and again, and they do some logic now and again, because that part of the brain is present, yes, and that's good, obviously. But their main operating system, where they anchor into, is that emotional center. So when we really realize that the main thrust of the power of a child's thinking is in that limbic brain, we will do it differently. Kids do not have regular and consistent access to the logic centers of their brain, Emotional regulation is under control of that frontal cortex. So if you have an immature brain, and remember the brain is not considered fully matured until the age of 26. So we are really talking the full span of childhood, late childhood included. We know the frontal brain is, the frontal cortex is developing And it's developing well in those later teen years and we see it happen. But we need to remember too that The brain is not fully developed yet. For more information on this emotional system, I looked in my episodes thinking I might be able to give you a few targeted episodes, but I found, boy, I talk about this in 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 10, 16, 21, 22, 26, and another uh, 15 of them. So you can go into my episode titles and find something of curiosity, and many of those titles will also tell you how it is that that topic does indeed connect to that emotional center of the brain. And if you have a particular interest, you can also email me and ask me the question, and I can send you to an episode and at hello at thelanguageofplay.com, or you can join my Facebook community where you can pose the question, and I can put episodes into there too. This Facebook community link is also in my show notes. So let's whittle this back again into um, that younger age, because most of my listeners, most of you have children or a child somewhere between the age of 2 and 12, and most of you have a child that you want to improve their communication skills, either because there's a dual language or because you have a speech and language delay or because you just really believe that you can help your child improve those communication skills to build your connection with your child and build that relationship. So because those are the ages, we're going to go back into those ages. So when you have a young child, let's go back down to the age of two. So, for example, if you have a child, say, that's two years old, and in the past two years, when they wanted something, they cried, they whined, and they fussed. Of course, that's what they did. We're talking a two-year-old. The past two years has been pre-language and learning language. So, how they communicated was whining, was crying. Now, they get to a point at, you know, two, three, when they are still whining, and they have language. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to teach them how to communicate in a different way if you don't like whining. Otherwise, if you allow the whining to perpetuate, then you are waiting for that child to notice on their own that there are other ways to communicate, and they may or may not care. So 
this is what I mean by this lack of knowledge, lack of understanding of life, lack of knowing. So if they just don't know, they're not going to do it. So I forgot to number the things for you to keep this organized for you. The first part of I assumed my child's behavior was their choice. The first thing I said was I assigned my thinking to my child. The second thing I brought up was understanding that the main operating system of your child's brain is that emotional brain. The third thing I brought up was the lack of life understanding. And let's embellish that one a little bit more. We talked about the two-year-old that only knows a little bit. They know that whining, fussing, and crying gets attention and gets what they want. That doesn't mean that it is the only way to communicate, of course, but they haven't learned that language can be and should be a replacement for the whining, fussing, and crying. And you can teach that directly. Last week I was teaching a client how to talk with her two-year-old about specifically role-playing how they sound, helping them understand how they sound, and then putting the right words into the child's mouth so the child understands how it is that they can switch from whine, fuss, cry to using the language that they already know. This mom and I giggled together about the inquisitiveness and playfulness of the child role-playing and acting out these things fully present in each stage and behavior he's at, fully present in his fuss, and then fully present in his role play, and then fully present in his talking. And all of it seemed very equal to him. But of course it isn't to us. So teach your child directly how to let go of the whine, cry, and fuss and replace it with words. So, you know, when you grow older, uh, we only know what we know. We only know what we have experienced. We don't really think in the problem solving of that which hasn't been near or in our realm to experience. And this is why play is so important for kiddos, one reason of many. So let's say your dog ate your child's lunch. And one thing the child might do is be totally upset because their lunch is gone and they don't have an understanding of life to realize we can go get more. Or maybe it's the exact opposite. Your child gave their meal to the dog and their life experience is that there's always more. So they don't understand that it mattered, that they were supposed to eat it. Nonetheless, they didn't understand what goes on inside of their bodies and why food is important. So this is a lack of life understanding. How does life work and how does my body work and what is important? All of these things take time. So when your child has a certain behavior, like my little example about the dog, if I assign my thinking to the child, it's going to mean they didn't like the food or they didn't care about my energy and thoughts going into the food and take it personally. So not assigning my thinking because the child doesn't have the life understanding that I have was super important for me to learn and realize. And the last part of this was a lack of world understanding. How does the world work? How do relationships work? And that comes back again to when I assume my child's behavior is their choice, that means that I'm assigning my thinking to my child. And then how they interact with the world 
must be this more mature thinking. But it clearly isn't. As you have probably gathered by now from me talking about that emotional brain and lack of understanding life, it's also the same with lack of understanding the world. So if your child is in a car and they freely pour their red Kool-Aid on the floor, what reason you assign to that is going to make all the difference in the world for how you feel in your parenting and if you see it as a behavior or not. Now, I'm not talking about whether or not you see red Kool-Aid on the floor as a problem or not. Obviously, that's a problem. But how you interpret it as a parent, and if you judge yourself or not, or if you judge your child or not, that has all to do with what I'm talking about today. So many times I found with my children, once I started learning this, and once I started looking at my students with this, oh, I'm going to take a stab in the dark that I really got a handle on this when my child was probably seven-ish, probably my, probably my youngest to be about seven. And I could see it in my students and I could practice it with my students. And I, I understood that when the child is dumping red Kool-Aid in the car, on the floor, their attention is what I need to pay attention to. Their Lack of understanding of consequence and cause and effect, what's going to happen because of, that's all understanding the world, and they don't have that yet. So their attention is probably something like the color and the flow of the water coming out of the cup, and the feel and the temperature and, and how the light catches the liquid, and their attention is probably on something like that. It probably isn't, I'm going to make mom mad now. I'm going to pour my Kool-Aid on the floor. But I can tell you that as an adult, if you get in somebody's car and you pour your red liquid on their carpet, the only explanation for an adult doing that seems to be they're getting back, they're getting even, they are doing something aggressive. But when our children do that, it's not the same because They are operating out of their emotional brain. They have a lack of understanding of life, and they have a lack of understanding the world. And so when I sign my thinking to my child, then I use the word because. So if you notice that you say because as a description, my child did this because, and when you hear yourself say because, you can find yourself and and check yourself with Am I assigning my thoughts to my child that has an undeveloped brain? That was, in summary, one of my biggest, most important learnings when I was raising kids. I wish I had understood this concept when my children were really, really little. But I learned it when they were older. And now, of course, I am teaching it to many, many other people because I feel like it's one of the most important things to understand. When your children act weird, when they do behaviors that you wonder, why did they do that? Go into that curiosity mode and ask yourself, ask them, what was it like? What are you wanting to learn? What are we doing here? What, you know, like a question like that, that is, is truly of the heart trying to figure out what it is that they're doing. And then of course, Teach them exactly what you do want. 
And here's an example of that. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned the two-year-old that cried and whined and fussed, even though they have language. We can teach our children how we want them to communicate and teach them to communicate in a different way. It requires practice and it requires you showing them. It requires some role play, but you can get your two and three-year-old to lessen that whining and fussing and use words instead. Here's another example of the same. If your child has been allowed to, say, walk around with food or watch TV when they're eating, and then you bring your child to a restaurant, and let's say they're seven years old, but they've always just kind of watched TV when they're eating. When they're in a restaurant or somebody else's home, they will do what they know to do, and it won't necessarily work in that setting. And it doesn't mean that they're trying to be disrespectful to grandma or in the restaurant or whatever to the people you're with. What it means is that they're doing what they know and they don't know the other practices. So if in your normal home setting, your normal practices don't work in different settings, then you need to talk about it and pre-teach your child, hey, we're going to be going to grandma's house and we're going to be having some lunch. When we have lunch, you need to stay at the table and eat, and then the food stays in the at the dining room table. When you're done eating, you'll be able to leave, but your food will not go with you. So that's an explanation that you would give to a child that maybe is seven. If your child is younger than that, you might need to practice the target behavior when you're at home until the child understands because they simply will continue to do what it is that they know. Notice yourselves. Did you have an expectation for the child? Are you frustrated with the behavior that they are exhibiting? Do you feel like it's personal? If your answer to any of those things is yes, then it is quite likely that you are assigning your thinking as the reason for your child's behavior. And that is what I learned to undo. And big high-level overview of one of the greatest learnings that my friend and I had to come to over time. Thank you for joining today. I hope this was helpful. And as always, if you have questions or want to communicate with me, email me at hello at the language of And we can talk about what is that behavior that you're wrestling with? What is it that you're struggling with? And what part of it is a repeat of what it is that they're knowing versus what part might actually be um, behavior rather than communication and habit. Hey parents, I hope you found this episode helpful. If so, would you please take 30 seconds and share it with a friend who also lives or works with children? I would really appreciate it if you would leave a quick review for the show on Apple Podcasts. I read every review and it lights me up to know that this show is making a difference. Then come join my Facebook community where you'll meet other parents who are dedicated to helping their children grow too. You'll find the link in the show notes. Thank you for joining me. Now it's time to go. Let's pop our kiddos in the strollers and go look around outdoors and see what we have to talk about.